You are listening to Locally Sourced Science. Your connection to the scientific discoveries happening in the Finger Lakes community. Today is May 26, 2020. This is your host, Mark Sharvari, and we have a special episode for you. Honestly, right now, myself and another local resource science producer should be in Aberdeen, Scotland, at the Public Communication of Science and Technology Conference, which is being held every two years. Clearly, due to COVID-19, this conference was actually postponed, I pulled together some interviews I conducted two years ago at the previous conference in Dunedin, New Zealand. And during that conference, I sought out folks who are related to the Finger Lakes. Many of them either at Cornell right now, or they were Cornell when the interview happened, or they attended Cornell a few years back for their bachelor's degrees or for their PhDs. So again, We couldn't be in Scotland, but this way we bring back the spirit of the Public Communication and Science and Technology Conference through these two-year-old interviews. I hope you will enjoy the stories. Many of them are very applicable to the situation right now with misinformation and science communication. One of the founders of the Public Communication of Science and Technology organization, Professor Bruce Lewinstein, who has been on this show multiple times, is a professor of science communication at Cornell and the chair of the Department of Science and Technology Studies. And Bruce's contribution to science communication is not just through his publications, but also through many of his students. So you are going to hear an interview with Bruce, but also with Professor Dominic Brossard, who is a professor and chair in the Department of Life Sciences Communications at the University of Wisconsin, and also with Professor John Besley, who is a professor of public relations at Michigan State University. Both of them were students of Professor Louis Steins. You will also hear from Dr. Christine O'Connell about a workshop in Women in STEM, as well as Dr. Vicky Martin about citizen science. But first, let's hear from Bruce Lewinstein about this network and conference. So um, this group, the PCST network, I was actually one of the founders of it uh, 30 years ago. And what, what excites me about it is that it brings together journalists and museum people and researchers, uh, people who do research on science communication and sci- scientists themselves who are often active in doing outreach. It does, so it's got that sort of professional breadth and then it's got the international breadth as well there are people here I, what did I hear 40 countries 70 countries I don't remember it's some huge number and it's just a wonderful way to feel the differences hear the differences share stories understand key differences um, across countries and I think it it helps us avoid getting stuck in particular ruts we suddenly discover it's a very messy field that we have to roam all over 
and you have been coming to these conferences for like 30 years yeah. now. Do do you feel like it's you are hearing new things or you are bringing new things every single time? It happens every two years, right? Yeah, it happens every two years. Yes, absolutely. I feel like I get new things. The world has changed in 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. We we didn't have browsers when I when this <laughs> conference started, much less social media. And uh, so I think all those differences, all those new changes, have forced us to in some ways go back to basic questions who's the audience for various kinds of uh, presentations or activities or uh, events but it also has said we have to think about audiences in very different ways the audience for a science cafe or I suppose I should say a science cabaret <laughs> um, is very different than the audience for a YouTube video mm -hmm. and we didn't used to have to think about that difference in quite the same way Now we do, and there is a lot of talk about practitioners and scholars. So, what is your opinion about that? Like, are scholars who should be focusing on science communication, or are the scientists who should be practicing it? Um, so, I like to avoid should. I, I don't think there's a necessarily a right answer. I think that it would be good if scientists, people who are engaged in outreach, practitioners not just scientists, but anybody who's engaged in outreach, realizes that there is research that is relevant to understanding your audience, to being able to reflect on your own goals, why you're participating, why you're choosing to be engaged in outreach, what your institution or personal goals are. Uh, at the same time, I think researchers need to understand both the joys and challenges of being a practitioner. And what make, why do people get so excited about getting a kid excited about science? Uh, yes, we can do analyses of power dialectics and, and um, social inequality and all of that, and that's critical. But we should also be paying attention to the kid who's watching a Van de Graaff generator and is just so excited. They just like you know, their eyes get wide and their thumb goes into their mouth to soothe themselves. Uh, we have to figure out how to bring those perspectives together. In case you are just tuning in, this is locally sourced science and we bring you news and scientific information from the Finger Lakes area. But today, we are bringing you interviews that I conducted in Dunedin, New Zealand at the Public Communication of Science and Technology Conference in 2018. This conference should be happening this week, but has been cancelled due to COVID-19, so I figured I bring the spirit of the conference to us through these interviews. If you'd like to hear other episodes, go to locallysourcedscience.org or find Locally Sourced Science on any of your favorite podcast apps. One of the attendees was Professor John Besley from Michigan State University, who clearly has a very strong feeling about this area and about Cornell. I love Cornell. So I, so I was there from 2002 to 2006. I got my PhD uh, working with Bruce Lewinstein and uh, Catherine McComas. Mm -hmm. um, I was studying public meetings and public engagement and around science and risk and uh, you know it's just a great university it was such a great my wife and I had just got married before we moved down we literally our honeymoon involved driving from uh, where I was in Canada in Ottawa and we got married there and we drove down through Vermont and into New York uh, to come visit and you know we just had we had a great cohort of colleagues um, who were doing PhDs and masters at the same time we were buying wine by the case we were hanging out and having fun discussions and I just had a great time at Cornell and I've had uh, because I think as a function of that I've had pretty good luck since then too 
So what happened to you after, after you got your PhD? Yeah, so I got my PhD in 2006 and took a faculty gig at the University of South Carolina and I spent six years there, I got tenure there. Um, in 2012 uh, now, I moved to Michigan State University and took up an endowed chair position, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and in that time I've had, you know, I've managed to write um, lots of papers and do lots of research and get some grants and, and uh, you know, so I, the thing I study is I study public opinion. I've, I started at Cornell studying public opinion about science. I was working in Environment Canada. I was frustrated that people seemed to want the government to do stuff, but my view is like we would be happy to do stuff if you guys would, you know, give us the the, the incentive. Tell tell us what to do. We're we're you know you're we, we people at the government would be happy or the Environment Canada wanted to do more opportunities. And so I got interested in environmental public opinion. Uh, and so a colleague suggested Cornell. I met with uh, came down, met with Jim Shanahan, who was there at the time, and. I thought I was going to do environmental communication, environmental public opinion. Uh, it wasn't a great time for that. It was during uh, a, a time when there wasn't good funding for environmental communication. Started studying um, public opinion about genetically modified food, and uh, and so that got me into the broader area of science communication. The ideas of science communication, you know, I, uh, let me study nuclear energy, nanotechnology, lots of different things. And so um, and so I studied public opinion about science, for, and I still do that. But then. It, just as I was switching in 2012, I started um, studying scientists' views about the public. Um, and Matt Nisbet, who's another Cornell connection, was the guy who sort of gave me the shift over to, to start. He had data on uh, what scientists were thinking about public opinion, or about uh, communication and public engagement. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've spent a lot of the last six years um, doing that, looking at both looking at public opinion, but now looking at scientists' opinion about the public. And it's been a it's been a really helpful way of thinking about how to be um, communicate more strategically. And you were involved with many panels here at PCST, right? So can you tell us a little bit, maybe one or two or one or yeah. two take-home messages that you felt like was important here? So yeah, so I was in, I, so I, I had a couple different projects. So I, I, I've been studying trainers lately. So talking, doing interviews and work with science communication traders in, in Canada and the United States um, and figuring out what they're doing and how that fits with um, what we know from research and, and how we how the research community could, could better help them. And so I had some conversations about that. This is a really great conference for that sort of trying to figure out what practitioners are thinking and how research can can play into that. So I did that. I had a great we had some great conversations around that. And I also did I presented a paper um, presented some work on. Uh, Sci uh, Canadian scientists. It's the first time I got to. I'm a Canadian, really. I got to study Canadian scientists and how they're thinking about um, a whole range of things related to communication, including uh, communication tactics, which I find really interesting. So, do you think scientists should be communicating, or science communication professionals should be communicating? Because there has been a lot of discussion here about scholars and practitioners. So, yes. what's your take on it? Yes, I think science communication professionals and scientists should be communicating. That being said, I think there's a there's there seems to be some scientists, many scientists, who want to communicate as principles. And so, one of the roles then is how does the science communication community, the sort of the practitioner community, how can they enable that? And not just more communication, but better communication, better quality communication, communication that has um, has an impact. Sort of my sort of, I I have a somewhat unique, I think, take. Or, or a little bit unusual take in that I'm very interested in strategic communication. I want, I'm really interested in what are your goals and then designing communication campaigns that help you achieve those goals. I don't study communication for the sake of studying communication. I have, I'm interested in how to help people achieve, uh, think about their goals and then think about what they need to do through communication to achieve those goals. And so it's a more, it's a strategic thing, which isn't something that's as, quite as common here, but it's, I, I find it very helpful. And, and, but I also find it really helpful to, 
to hear what other people are thinking about, about communication. Thank you so much for your time. Happy to chat. You're listening to Locally Sourced Science, and this is your host, Mark Sharvari. You can find us at locallysourcedscience.org or follow us on Twitter at FLX Science Radio. The next interviewee is Professor Dominic Brassard, who also has a very strong connection to Cornell. Not just one generation, but at least two. You got your PhD at Cornell, you worked yes. at Rosso Einstein. So what happened to you since then? So since uh, Cornell, after my PhD, I actually did a postdoc with international programs at Cornell mm-hmm. and genetics, working with uh, ABSP2, the Agricultural Biotechnology Support Program. Mm-hmm. And after that, I got a faculty position at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in uh, 2004. And I've, now I'm a professor, co-professor, and the chair of the Department of mm-hmm. Life Science Communication. Oh, wonderful. Yes. So. You, have you been coming to PCST for many years now to this conference? Yes, I think my first uh, PCST was, uh, I think, in 2002, just when I finished my my uh, my PhD, and I think I've been going to all of them. I was actually on the scientific committee for eight years. So what do you find useful about this conference? What I like of this conference, I think it's uh, actually truly international in nature. I like the fact that they choose a location around the world where then it encourage local participations. For example, in Brazil, we had a lot of people that had never had the occasion to interact with other people in the other part of the world about topics of common interest. Mm-hmm. And also I like the fact that we have not only academics, like main, the main conference we go to usually, but also practitioners, policy makers, everybody interested in the topic, but from different angles. And you were involved with many different panels. Can you tell me uh, about a few of them? Yes, so I was involved in uh, one panel actually presenting academic research, exploring uh, public engagement attitudes related to human gene editing. Mm-hmm. What kind of groups should be involved in making decisions about the regulations? So that was one. Another panel that was on policy making. How should we integrate science communication in policy decision making? So that was very interesting. And then I'm on the, on the editorial board of the Journal of Science Communication. Mm-hmm. So I was on two panels that were discussing what kind of publishing we need in other parts of the world to be more inclusive and of other language, other cultures and so on. And you are a science communication scholar, so because you study this, right? Do you think scientists should do science communication or it should be a job of uh, professionals? No, actually, I mean, I think there's a, there's a part, there is a, a room from everyone. And the thing is, like, sadly, the science uh, columns are disappearing in newspapers and so on. So I think just science communication uh, practitioners are not enough. And so if we can have also people that are trained, that are from science discipline, that are well trained to do it, this is great also. But however, we don't want all the scientists to actually, you know, engage in communication without knowing what they're doing. I think that's very dangerous. That's why my, what I'm trying to push is to have some kind of science communication training in the scientific disciplines. So people that are life scientists, physical scientists, understand the challenges and the complexity and they are careful not to engage in these kind of activities when they shouldn't be doing it. And I heard that you maintain your connection to Cornell because your daughter is going there, right? Yes, exactly. So I'm very fortunate to have a daughter to, who is in Cornell right now. She's going to be uh, graduating in May with uh, 
uh, a bachelor from the Department of Communication. Oh, wonderful. So she's following her mom's footsteps. Well, hopefully she'll do big steps on her own. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. This is Mark Sharvari for Locally Sourced Science and I'm bringing you the spirit of a conference that unfortunately got cancelled this year. But I interviewed many attendees in the previous conference two years ago. The next interview is Professor Christine O'Connell, who was a professor at Stony Brook's Ellen Alda Center for Communicating Science and School of Journalism in 2018 when I interviewed her for this show. I first met her many years ago in Ithaca at Cornell where she brought Alan Alda himself and the communication workshop she helped develop. Yeah. So, Christine, it's great to run into you here at the PCSD 2018. And, and since you are a Cornell graduate, we would yes. love to hear from you what you have been up to since then and actually what you studied at Cornell. Yeah. I was a natural resources major at Cornell and I graduated in 1999. Um, and uh, I... I always wanted to work on environmental issues. That was one of the reasons I I was a natural resources major. But I, when I was there, I kind of found that what I was doing was just staying within the science community. So I wanted to branch out beyond that, and I um, wanted to make reach the outside world a little bit more. Um, so I turned my career around altogether when I graduated and went into environmental activism. <laughs> and uh, and it was a crazy ride for a few years. I worked on um, national environmental campaigns. I, um, I got to work on the 2000 presidential elections. And, um, you know, one of the cool things we did there was get John McCain to uh, go from saying there's not enough scientific evidence on climate change to actually hosting Senate hearings and sponsoring the first legislation on it. So it showed me the power of having a voice and organizing. And then um, uh, and then I decided after many years of doing that, um, that I want to go back and get more into science. So I went back to get my PhD in, in marine and ocean science, but always looking at society and policy as well. And um, during that is when I got involved with the Alda Center doing science communication. And, and that's what I'm doing now. And that's what I've been working on probably for the past eight years is really building a community of science communicators, building the practice of science communication and as well as research into it. So what are you doing at this conference here? How are you involved and, and what, what programs are you involved with? So I'm really excited about one of the things we were piloting at this conference was a workshop for women um, on gender and communication. Because a lot of bias is actually all about communication. It's about how things are communicated to you as well as how you're judged on your communication. Um, and there's subtle bias, um, little things, how they're communicated to you every day, and then there's outright harassment. Um, and so how do we actually start giving women scientists a space to talk about these issues in science in the light of the Me Too movement and everything else that's going on, but also giving them tools to deal with them. Um, and then what was great about what we did here is we had some men involved in the workshop too, and they got to actually listen to women and hear some of the issues that um, that they've been dealing with, hear about lots of communication stereotypes that women have to deal with. And um, afterwards, um, one of the men actually said, you know, this has completely opened my eyes to a situation I've been dealing with at work for the past three months and where I've been bringing a lot of stereotypes into it and I'm going to go back and, and change the way I'm dealing with it. And another man said, you know, I have sisters, I have lots of female 
colleagues and nobody ever talks about these issues. I didn't realize how pervasive they were. So I think just having a space to talk about this in science and in science communication is really exciting. I think um, one of the big take-home messages from this meeting, and there's a lot of like really amazing and passionate and good people working in this space of trying to connect science and society and connect scientists with communicating to the public and doing it effectively and, and doing engagement and interacting and make it not such a separate thing and to really try and build those bridges through programs, through trainings, through media, through journalism, through research itself doing citizen science. And, mm-hmm. and I think um, this growing field is really exciting and that's the main message I take away from this is this field is just growing and it's so important right now. Uh, I, think it, I think science is at this cusp of changing science culture a bit instead of being so insular actually starting to look outward and I think it's important for the growth of science, the survival of science in today's day and age, um, and um, it makes scientists better. So that's, I guess I'm taking away excitement, excitement and hope for science in the future. Oh, that's a beautiful ending. So let's go and get our coffee so they don't get cold. <laughs> Thank you very much, Christine. Thank you. One of the greatest benefits of attending conferences is networking, meeting those scholars who are contributing to their fields, who are contributing to science, who are contributing to science communication. Inspiring conversations happen at these conferences, and for many of us at Local Resource Science, it helps us bring the newest scientific information to you in the Finger Lakes area. The next person you will hear from is Dr. Vicky Martin, who was a research fellow at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in 2018 when I conducted this interview with her at the Public Communication of Science and Technology Conference in Dunedin, New Zealand. So Vicky, can you tell us please a little bit about your session yesterday, what you do as for your research in the lab and, and what you are doing here at the conference? Yeah, thanks Mark. Well, yesterday we had a session looking at citizen science theory and the intersection that citizen science and science communication have in um, being able to achieve broad societal impacts. And so yesterday was very much a theoretical paper and then later today I'll be presenting an individual paper on my research at the Lab of Ornithology So that one is about um, citizen science and how we can engage new or underserved audiences in citizen science practice. So how do you define citizen science and why are citizen science presentations at a science communication conference? Well, I define citizen science as uh, any project that helps to generate new knowledge and uh, collaborates between scientists and members of the public. Um, It it has a a very interesting role for communicating science with much wider audiences than traditional science does and that's why I'm interested in it as a science communication scholar. So I completed my PhD in Australia where I was looking at marine citizen science and I was really interested in the potential for marine citizen science to engage more Australians in scientific research and whether that would be a good mechanism for communicating um, more about uh, marine science with a much wider audience. So I guess 
I, w I was very fortunate that um, citizen science has become quite a hot topic, uh, both in terms of its practice around the globe, but also within the discussions that we're having in the science communication uh, field. And um, I was also very fortunate to have a fantastic supervisor, Dr. Greta Petzl, and she pointed me towards the lab and the postdoctoral um, position that was available. And I thought, I'll give it a go. And, and uh, it turns out I'm the first social scientist for them to employ in their uh, postdoctoral uh, research associate. Well, I, I'm focusing on uh, bird citizen science in the research I'm doing at the lab. However, the lab's a really interesting place and they do a lot of other research on um, animals such as whales and elephants. So they're not just about birds at the lab. Yeah. Well, I was really interested in, um, I guess, sort of entry-level citizen science. So getting mem how do we get members of the public to help record the species that they see, particularly unusual species? I was using a case study of the Red Map Australia project that has a national focus. And I really wanted to understand the connection between maybe participating in a national scale project with uh, you know, really broad participation across the country rather than a, a very localised project. So I was talking to uh, recreational fishers and beach walkers and sailors and boaties and um, kayakers, all sorts of people, uh, so all across Australia. This is Locally Source Science, and this is your host, Mark Sharvari. You are listening to an interview with Dr. Vicky Martin, who was a research fellow at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and she talks to us about citizen science. And in citizen science, we can all contribute to scientific discoveries. So I asked her, why should she encourage you, our listeners, who are absolutely science curious, since you are listening to the show, to contribute? to a citizen science project? There's a, a much more complex answer to that than a, a very quick one, but certainly for the, the really larger scale projects, it brings, to people, it brings people together around a shared interest. And uh, that can be, for example, at the lab, we've got the Feeder Watch project. So we have about 25,000 participants across North America who observe the birds that come to their feeders and they identify them and count them and uh, share that, their observations with the scientists at the lab so that we can see some trends. It's been going for 31 years and we've been able to see things like uh, range shifts in some of the species that they're observing. So uh, it's helping people to contribute to science and we know that they like to do that uh, and it helps them to learn more about um, the species that they're observing too and we know that they like like to learn things as well. Today you heard from many professionals in the field of science of science communication and there was a common message there. It is great to get many voices in science communication but we all need to make sure that we receive some training and we all need to make sure that our students receive some training in this field. I couldn't agree with this more. In 2018, at this conference, I was on a panel with two fellow Ithacans, Kitty Gifford, who is a communication consultant and science communication instructor, 
also with Professor Bruce Lewinstein, who you just have heard from. We discussed how we can bring science communication into the undergraduate education. So on a personal note, it was very interesting to revisit this conference through these interviews, because in Dunedin, during this panel, we had a chance to flesh out the ideas of a science communication and public engagement minor, which since has been launched at Cornell University and provides this well-needed education in science communication to undergraduates. If you are curious, information is available online at scicom.cornell.edu, which is s-c-i-c-o-m-m.cornell.edu. Wow, that half an hour flew by really quick. That concluded today's show. Again, today we should have been at a conference of public communication of science and technology, but since that cancelled, we revisited the previous conference that happened two years ago and talked to scholars who had connections to the Finger Lakes, especially to Cornell University. I was your host, Mark Sharvari. We would like to thank Joe Lewis for the intro music and voiceover. And if you'd like to hear more episodes, go to locallysourcescience.org or find Locally Source Science on any of your podcatchers. Follow us on FLX Science Radio or follow me at Sensitive Sci on Twitter. Science out. <laughs>